sin. Sin. What does that word stir up in you? Sin. Is it an intellectual fact? The fallen state of man since the garden? Or maybe it's a feeling like guilt or shame. Your own personal list of things done and things left undone. Do you feel anger? An awareness of evil acts done by others against you? or against others you love or care for? Is it despair? A sense of hopelessness? As you see your nation turn its back on God and embrace its own demise? Sin. It is a powerful word. It's not a word we hear much in our uh, public discourse these days. It's not even a word we hear much in our churches. Although scripture would have us believe that it is our primary problem. Let's face it, the whole idea of sin is decidedly uncomfortable. And we know how to manage uncomfortable things these days. First, we can simply deny their existence. This seems to be a common response to sin these days. Maybe there is no such thing as sin. Maybe sin is just a cultural construct that we can free ourselves from. Maybe that conviction you feel rising up every once in a while just needs to be pushed back down or overcome or educated, or medicated. Another management style (laughs) is to redefine the issue. Maybe we just need a new understanding of sin. Maybe sin doesn't mean transgressing the moral law of our creator God. Maybe sin means believing that our God and his morality is somehow right and true in a way that other gods and other moralities are not. Maybe sin is really just our own intolerance. My personal favorite, uh, my coping strategy with sin is just to minimize it. Um, I believe that sin is true And I, even as a Christian, fall into it. I sometimes even jump into it. But is it really so bad? I mean, I am so much better than I used to be. You have no idea. (laughs) And nobody's perfect, right? Even the idea of sin as missing the mark can help me in this. Uh, If I'm the archer and the bullseye is the mark could feel pretty good about hitting 7 out of 10, shouldn't I? Hmm. 
But there are times, like tonight, where all of that foolishness just fades away. There are times when sin simply cannot be managed. Times when the recognition of the depth of my own depravity and my desperate need for salvation is simply overwhelming. This isn't sadness or even a desire to improve. It is deep grief at the knowledge that my sin and our sin has actually destroyed us. We have broken the heart of our Father God. We have violated his holiness. We have shattered our only hope for fellowship with him and with each other. We have abandoned our true identities and our future. We have conspired with the enemy. It is we who spit in the face of Christ. Suddenly missing the mark has become horribly real. And into this horrible reality, this unmanageable truth, God moves. God, who is perfectly just and righteous, must punish our sin. And God, who loves us beyond our wildest dream and and wants us only to share with him in the glory of his holiness, must also heal our brokenness. God, who desires reconciliation more than we do, must make a way where there is no way. God must save us. In the beginning, God gave his people pictures of what this saving would look like. When Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain, it was God himself who provided the sacrifice. And when the angel of death killed the firstborn in Egypt, it was the blood of the lamb that saved God's people through the Passover. And when God gave his people the law, he said, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on this altar as an atonement for your souls. Then God established the sacrificial system for his people. It was a way to temporarily have peace and communion with him. But the atoning sacrifices could only cover up sin. They could never do away with it. It was not a true redemption. As the writer writer of Hebrews says, it was but a shadow of the good things to come. During the Passover feast in Jesus' day, 20,000 animals were killed and bled. And Passover was only one of the days that sacrifices were made. And those same sacrifices were made over and over and over 
year after year after year. And it was never enough. It could never be enough. So much sin, so much death, so much blood. Finally, at just the right time, God sent Jesus. For it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away our sin. It took the blood of a man to do that. One of us. And not just any man, but a perfect man. The perfect man. The God-man. When John the Baptist saw him coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Psalm 103 has it, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. It is very uncomfortable, even heartbreaking, to think that the only way that I can be saved and the only way that our sin can actually be taken away, the only way that we can have lasting peace and shalom with God is for the one human being who never did anything wrong, the only true innocent, to suffer excruciating torture and agonizing death on the cross in our place. But that is the cost of sin. And that is the proof of love. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The sacrificial system and all it promised has been completely fulfilled in the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And when it was completed, he sat down on the right hand of the Father. He said, it is finished once and for all. God has made a way where there was no way. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for many. And there is salvation in no other one. For there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. So much sin, just one death, only his blood. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow 
No other font I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus.